Welcome to Essie's Hour of Love. Hi guys, I have um, just landed back in New York from spending a month in Australia while my visa was getting processed so I'm allowed to work in America again, which always feels good. I start a new job on Monday and I have no idea how it's gonna go but fingers crossed um, I don't know fingers crossed I learn a lot and there's really lovely people that's kind of all I'm hoping for at the moment and um, I'm really excited that we're up to episode 31 of the podcast uh, the guest uh, is Justin Reed who Grace completely organized this one she used to work with him at her old ad agency he's the head of strategy there and she always just said to me, she's like, I have no idea what his story is. I have no idea what he would say, but I just have a feeling he will be great. And Grace actually co-hosts this episode uh, with me. And we honestly knew nothing and he, he brought the goods, let's just say that. So I really hope you enjoy. Loving bag on the floor, the shoes, it was a late night, you threw your pants on the floor, fine. But within 24 hours, all of that should go away. <laughs> and, and, he, and we hadn't cleaned it in a month. Like, whoa! Yeah, and now suddenly you're having people over for pre-game Halloween. Pre-game Halloween, I like it. Yeah. Um, so I think we should sort of just jump. Sure. Jump, into jump it. in. Yeah. So the only thing I'm is... I'm not remotely prepared. So there's, there's no, nothing to there's prepare. No You've lived it. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, fair. I just, yeah. I have been thinking about like what I could say, but I figured I would just let it. Yeah. I've been interviewing interviewing my dad, and uh, I wish I had something more. Wait, why are you interviewing your dad? Um, uh, he's a strange man, and he might die soon. So, it's okay. okay. He's, been, he's been like dying for twenty years. It could could have happened twenty years ago. It could happen twenty years from now. But he's well, just an old man. Okay, cancer or? Um, he has been um. Unwell for uh, his entire <laughs> see, his entire life. <laughs> We're just laughing because sorry <laughs> because we've talked about not using our hands on the table. Yeah, so, yeah uh, it is. Justin straight went there. Pillow. Now you get a pillow. Right. Um, <laughs> Cute. Uh, you talking with my hands? Do you watch Shit's Shit Creek? My favorite show. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's a character that's always been like so. <laughs> that's kind of what I do now. But uh, so he um, was obese. My hour, his entire life, and uh, remarried, and he is still obese, and then suddenly he, he it caught up with him. So heart disease, a couple heart attacks, and Parkinson's, diabetes, and uh, so what took a very long time. His body was quite tolerant of the fact that he did not take care of himself. Is finally catching up. And were you kind of always the kid to be like, Dad, you got to look after yourself? Like, was this a constant a chunk, conversation? Uh, with my mother, I suppose. I, we couldn't tell my dad what to do. Oh. No. Wasn't going to no. hear it. No. no. Later on, as we got older, it, it was more of a pure conversation. But talking to him about food wasn't ever going to register or lead to any benefit. Where did you grow up? I was born in Hammond, Indiana, and uh, quickly moved to the Chicago suburbs, and then quickly after that moved to Connecticut. So I was raised in Connecticut since I was around four years old, so commutable to New York. So New York has been a part of my life. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, like, if you grew up in Texas or something, maybe the food conversation wouldn't be... I I think I was going to make a big judgment of, like, where you grew up is... Well, the Midwest. Yeah. So, yeah, you can judge it. Right, but then Connecticut isn't really the Midwest. Correct. Um, So, my mother adjusted. My sister and I were very Northeast. My dad was... Not Midwestern. Yeah. Crack, uh, crunch and munch. 
I don't even know what that is. I, it's good. like cereal, right? No. Oh. <laughs> it's like really bad uh, caramel corn. It was just, he used eat, eat the worst. He used to eat butter by the stick. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. He's a, it's an eating disorder. He's a full on eating disorder. So he was obese and a jock. 6'5", jock, um, until as soon as he graduated from college. My mother said after two, two years, within two years of their wedding, he had gained 100 pounds. Wow. And his sister did the same thing. So um, uh, she was drop-dead gorgeous, uh, redhead, gorgeous, tall, Midwestern woman. And as soon as she like reached her 20s, she also became obese. So it's they talk about the fat gene. Um, I think there is something to it because I think my sister and I both kind of fight our weight. But it's more about the eating disorder, what happened with them growing up. They were both abused by their parents, my evil grandparents. And um, so uh, I think that led to comfort in bad food. Like an addiction, right? I mean, the, I, the, I would say it's, a, it's an addiction. Yeah. It's, it, it's a disorder, the way they both just ballooned up. And When I was um, 15, <laughs> I laugh at this, but it's not funny. But I still laugh at it. My mum took me to Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, that existed? That is a How th- old are you? I'm 30. Okay. How old are you? 24. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I, I'm surprised it even existed. It, yeah, I mean, I think it's been around for... I think I there's have a so lot many of, new questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I... There was a point where I um, was trying to th- throw up. Uh, and, yeah, well, and like, I think I was a general... Um, I think I was just a little bit of an overweight teenager, like struggling with it, right? Mm-hmm. And my mum really believes in the twelve step program, and a friend of hers was 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 going through it, and it was really helping her. So she just, and I was moving to boarding school, so I was about to go to a world of of all new support and no one around me that I knew. So she's like, I just think that um, maybe try it. So I, I mean, I think I think I lasted like three months or so and I mean you're I was in group therapy with mm. with people with who were struggling a lot and you had very thin people that were bulimic and anorexic and then you had like obese people and it was a little scary as a 15 year old um, sure. but I loved learning I really did actually love learning about the 12-step program and like learning about like just having a bit of a higher basically like you're not alone and if you um need help you can and I used to like go to because the worst was like parties and you know I grew up a very healthy household so as soon as like there was juice in a fridge or something I was like yes (laughs) (laughs) huge um so like I ended up like having a little juice not healthy no not really it's just full of sugar it's not not like it's RC Cola no that wasn't that that was never around um But yeah, so I've kind of always grown up that it's it's like an addiction if you want to believe it or not or whatever. But well, yeah. what's interesting is that my sister also then became anorexic. Oh wow! So it's just it's some type of control um, mechanism. So did you? How? When did you find out that they were abused? Or is that has that always been a conversation? It, it came later. Uh, the truth is, uh, what I'm really interviewing my dad about is that he. Um, I come from a long, long line of compulsive liars <laughs> and my sister and I are both, uh, the opposite. <laughs> uh, I don't know, working with me, I tend to be sort of direct, uh, and I don't mean to come off as abrasive or abrupt or, um, I think it is a response to the fact that we never knew what the truth was in our house. Are we going to Vermont to ski this weekend? Maybe. Are we going to Australia for Christmas next year? Possibly, probably not. Um, where are we from? What's where's Grandpa from? Oh, we think it's Tennessee. Like we really know nothing about our history. And then uh, it wasn't the happiest of households. Uh, wasn't the I, I would not say there wasn't love. It was just expressed in a more Germanic and uh, 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 carefully. <laughs> Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Um, reserved, careful displays of affection. Um, 
Then when my parents ultimately separated, which was not an issue, we were actually quite happy uh, when that happened. I was 17, my sister was 23, and like, oh, well, it finally happened. Let's go out to the bar. Wasn't an issue, but my dad then came out, if you will, about the fact that he uh, worked for the CIA for 25 years, and uh, we didn't know this. Um, my mother didn't know, and we, she found out six months later, we let him tell her, or ultimately we told her, frankly, I don't remember. But there was uh, a lot of, well, that's interesting, and it explains a few things, like not un really understanding what your father does for a living or why he was away for Christmas when my sister was seven years old. It's something she remembers I don't. Um, and also just uh, when you live in one town for 20 years, people start to catch on to the fact that some of your stories don't really add up, as no matter how adept you are at lying. And uh, some of our best family friends were like, we, they always said, we think your dad works for the FBI. And we always thought it was hilarious. Wrong or wrong agency, it was the CIA. So. What, did he, what did he say he did? International insurance. Because oh, that's wow. a job. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Interna there is an international insurance. Oh, you can get it when you... We don't have to discuss I don't that. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's a thing. You could say, I am an insurance. I do global work. Like, yeah. they're maybe... A consultant. Was, yeah, but... Yeah. I do international So you, you just thought, like, my dad's in insurance. Insurance. Yeah. But, I, frankly, I never really thought about it. Uh, it was more... I think it was more of an issue for my sister, who might have had the dad comes to talk to the kids' class about his um. job... Uh, I just never did that, or he wasn't around for it. Um, I don't remember a lot of my childhood. That's a whole other thing. Uh, I don't think we were, like, etherized and knocked out for weeks at a time. <laughs> I just don't remember certain things. Maybe I blocked it out. But, um, but yeah, so that was a big announcement in the family. And uh, it how, went... did he, how did he announce that to you guys? So uh, when my parents separated, my mother had... It was interesting. Leading up to the announcement of their separation... Uh, they had recently gone bankrupt, moved into a house, started renting it, and um, and I was about to be a senior in high school, so they were just trying to keep shit together uh, so I could finish high school, and then like then they would figure it out, which I sort of understood at the time, but I was just like, I have to graduate from high school. Yeah. That's what I was focusing on, and I have a lot of bongs to, to smoke, so I had, like, I, I had my foci at the time. I was about to ask what yeah. you were like in high school, but I just got it. So. I, I, um, I, I will go into that uh, if we want to bounce around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, in high school, I um, was, I would not say unpopular. Uh, I was always called the faggot in the hallway in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And then suddenly that really seemed to stop. So a lot of people had a difficult high school I had a more difficult junior high. Mm. Once we hit high school, I mean, that was still like a, th a thread. Is Justin gay? Is Justin gay? I always denied it. Frankly, I didn't really think I was at the time. Um, but generally speaking, I had friends. Um, Why were they thinking you were gay? What was it? I probably had a little bit of a swish. And before my voice dropped, I basically sounded like my sister. And she was into fashion at the time, and this was the 80s, and she made me wear Akajo. So I don't know if you know what Akajo is. I'm going to have to Google You're going to have to look that up. Akajo, Acapulco Joe is a certain style that a lot of like Sounds 80s like muscle acapella. Girls, Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, I mean, it's, that's just a joke that we make in the Reed family. Uh, but uh, so, I, I mean, I had friends. I always had good group, a lot of women, but I also had uh, guy friends and... Um, I'm still very much in touch with my friends from high school, more so than I am with anybody that I met in college. So the friends that I have, like right now, are either from high school or from work. So, wow. uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm so close with them. I was nominated for Homecoming King. I was Hey, I, that's cool. I passed out in the woods during halftime, so I didn't make it to the ceremony. Who won? Maggie Rothman and Steve Ewis. Ew. Steve. He also didn't <laughs> invite me to his bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> Ass. And let's see what happens, because my 25th high school reunion is on Saturday. So uh, let's just see what Steve has to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing now, yeah. Steve? You should take a picture so, with Steve. Yeah. How are your kids doing? Has their Hebrew school gone? <laughs> yeah. I had a party last weekend. You weren't invited. Yeah, you, you have a chance to make up for yeah. your Yeah, you're lucky I you're even here. I'm going to go to your daughter's bottom. <laughs> I think he has kids. I don't really give a fuck. <laughs> so, yeah, you've never thought about this. I ever. never think about that. Or, or Ryan Brown. The oh. fact that he didn't invite me to his apartment either. I never think about that. <laughs> 
so wait, were you had you come out yet? No, I was very very. You I mean, said you. I wouldn't even you say. You didn't think you. Correct. But that I, was middle school. Now we're at like no, he's end in of high school. school. In, in high school, I, I would say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> keep in mind, this is the eighties. I am forty three, but uh, I. Um, I mean, it, I'm sure it was in there somewhere, but it was so. I, I was. I people use the term closeted incorrectly. I feel, or okay. it's, or the meaning. The, the meaning of closeted has changed. True, the word closeted meant in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s is that you were actually were gay and had a lover, had a partner, whatever the term was at the time, and just didn't tell your family or your job. That's what closeted is. I was just deluded. Like, I was not kissing boys. I was not having sex with guys at clubs. I didn't kiss a man until I was 29. Kiss anyone? A man. Oh. Uh. And then uh, I was like, "That's another great conversation." Yeah. <laughs> Can't say I had much sex in my twenties, but I was I was like hanging out with chicks. I just didn't have that much intercourse. Uh, but then, <laughs> as soon as like all what took twenty nine years, it happened overnight, and within a month, like everybody knew. And I was like, "Okay, this is me." You did that. Done. Check. <laughs> yeah, had to get that in before I turned thirty. Yeah, good. Um, I understand. But, and my, <laughs> fair, and most of my noted. Uh, and, <laughs> and I'm not even my, sure what I mean. Uh, oh, okay. Right. Are you lesbian? No. Oh, okay. That's what I thought you meant. That's what I thought you meant. No, I just turned 30. She just turned 30. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt like there was a lot of things I needed to get done at 29 before fair. I was 30. Yeah. Yeah. Don't rush to marriage, though. Oh, thank you. That's okay. what a lot of people do. Yeah. Have you married before 30? No, that's no. well sailed. I think we're in the <laughs> clear. Really okay, but wait, so let's go back to your dad and mum. So you're finishing so up you're high, high school. school. Okay, so uh, my mother, uh, at the time, every year she'd go on this trip down the Grand Canyon with her sister and some girlfriends. And so we knew that she was leaving, and she left the next morning, left early the next morning. This is back when you were young and you could still sleep in. And there was a letter left on the uh, dining room table to one to my sister and one to myself and my sister was up first and I went and read the letter and my sister said so did you read it and I said yes I guess we're not surprised um and then my dad called almost immediately and I, we both said that, like we're okay with this oh, the, the letter said so, that you guys were sorry, getting divorced sorry yeah the letter said that they, they were separating okay and, and he said we're gonna stay I'll stay with you until uh your mother gets back and then I'll find a place and I said that's fine in the end, though, he actually didn't want to come back to the house, so it was just us. And so the day that I learned that my parents were separating, I threw the biggest party in the history of Westport, Connecticut, and was arrested. Um, but beyond that, <laughs> but beyond that, oh my god! Uh, uh, so he, in the midst of all this, he said, "So, Justin, um, I had more to say." And I was like, "What?" And he said, "So I've been working for." the agency for about 22 years now. And I said, I know you work for Bailey, Martin and Fay. He's like, no, the central intelligence agency. And I went, Oh, uh, Oh, like it just, it took me a second to register. When you're 17, you don't really think about the CAA all that often. And this is like the beginning of clearing prison danger and all that, like all those movies coming out. So it just wasn't really top of mind. And then I went, Oh, so then I invited all my friends over cause I had the house to myself and said, my parents are getting a divorce. And everybody's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, that's okay. My dad's in the CIA fucking ass. <laughs> and uh, then threw the party and then got arrested, which was fine. But uh, so. Can we talk about the CIA for a sec? Sure. What, what's, the, like, what's the difference between the FBI and the CIA? FBI is more internal. Mm-hmm. It, like, it's domestic. And CIA is global initiatives. So was he dom- a spy? Essentially. That's what he claims. And so that's... That's that, what he claims. So that's the thing, is that it's... Uh, my sister has gone in and out of thinking he's just lying completely. About the whole oh, thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I actually don't think he is lying completely, but the way he tells stories about breakfast, anything that comes out of his mouth is spurious. Mm. So that's what the book... Is, that's what I'm writing, is this book. Wow. Yeah. So you... So you think it's true? You think he was in the sea? Isn't I, there proof you could find out yes, now? Yes, he's actually in Oliver North's book twice, one of his books twice, and mentioned by name. Um, and some of the Wait, things... Wait, who's Oliver North again? Uh, uh, the Iran-Contra trial, my father was claims to be uh, a part of this, probably be arrested for saying this on on, on uh, tape. But, and uh, just let we you can, know that we, we have can, about 100 can, listeners, and yeah. they're not... But we can beep out the name. Oh yeah, we can be bad anything. Yeah, yeah. beep. Yeah, um, <laughs> it always comes afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Uh, and so it was, I'm going to butcher this, but basically, uh, we, to fund the Contras in Nicaragua, uh, they were the Contras, I believe, <laughs> who were fighting the communists uh-huh. in Nicaragua. We sold, we sold, uh, bad arms to Iran, to the Shah, something like that. Okay. So they got, we sold them. Uh, stuff to defend themselves against Russia, I believe. And they got bad arms, and the money that we got from Iran went to fund their contras, hence Iran-Contra, I believe. Okay. And uh, so it was a big deal. Was, uh, they got busted. Oliver North got busted, and my father uh, didn't work after that. So um, my father essentially hasn't worked in 20-something years. Is he legally allowed to say that he was in the CIA? He can say he, he is, but what he what he's still doing, and I was just there for his 75th birthday, and there is uh, he lives in Southern California now with his wife. He claims that there are still things he can't say. He's legally bound not to. And I said, so your loyalties still lie with the government that you claim to work for and basically fucked you over in the end. Right. And I, the only legacy you can leave me is this, like, million dollar story. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so that's going to be my next visit is basically just cornering him and saying, like, you either do this now or it's not going to happen. And, um... Because he's also sick and... Correct. And he's also a little bit demented. So it's, uh, so he, uh... He has Parkinson's and either the drugs, the age, um, or the Parkinson's itself. Parkinson's dementia is a thing. Um, I think we pitched that business. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, our combination of all of these things are leading to the fact that like he could be very lucid until 4 p.m. and then something gobbledygook will just come out of his mouth. Uh, not gibberish per se, but it'll, it'll be, it'll be it's like, it's, what? Yeah, no. it, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's like, what are you talking about? You don't know them. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, I saw your friend Josh the other day. No, you didn't. Uh, he lives on the opposite side of the country. Yeah, just... Right. Yeah. He once called me... This is five years ago now, so it, oddly I feel he's improved. But five years ago he called to say that there was a wild tiger loose in Irvine, California. A pregnant tiger, no less. And it walked up their little alleyway, and uh, he saw the tiger face-to-face, and he could feel the tiger's warm breath through the screen. Wow. And so I called my stepmother and said, I think my dad's hallucinating or something's up. And she is a little, um, she kind of operates on denial. And uh, she's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, okay. Kind of like, perfect for your dad. <laughs> yeah, good for him. Yeah, but it was, it, that was odd. No, the denial, that she lives in denial. <laughs> Correct. And yeah. my mother is also the queen of denial. She just right. didn't pay attention. My mother doesn't really focus on details. And so if he was gone for three weeks at a time, I don't think she really cared that much. And that might be why she was the perfect wife for an agent. Right. So, uh... So my guess mm-hmm. is, like, you with relationships, loving relationships yes. later, you may have um, some, like, trust issues or, like, what, um, how's this affected you kind of later? Yeah. It, it's, uh, I'm in therapy trying to figure this out. It, you'd think that I would just be like straight up trust issue guy. I'm actually, it's, it seems to be the opposite that I'm always shocked when people fuck me over. I'm still shocked when I feel, when I feel my trust is, uh, what's the term? Broken. 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 When somebody breaks, do they break my trust? Do I break that? They break. When they break your trust. When they break my trust. I'm always surprised. And, uh, I'm like, oh, wait, you lied about that? Like, I'm still just in shock. You think I would be a more... Um, and that's not because you're like, I'm very... I have a great lie detector, and somehow you got around... It's not I like- usually do, um, but I there was a... Uh, I left a 10-year relationship and went straight into what I thought was another one, and it just wasn't a thing. And I was like, oh, you lied about those things. And I was just like... How did I not know that he was lying about this? Like, stupid stuff. Just like, did he work that day? No. Like, so if he, like, why would you lie about that? So just little things like that. And I never lie about that. Even uh, my present boyfriend sometimes will, will just say something that just seems a little bit off. And I'll be like, what? You what's had an the, apple. What's the point? Just yeah. say it. Yeah, just say it. Like, so you ate that apple. I don't care. I don't know if I ate that apple. Um, <laughs> I didn't no. eat the apple. Did you have guests? 
<laughs> so if you had guests, did you throw a party when I was on, on my business trip? No, nobody was here. So who ate the apple? Because <laughs> there's a cork in the trash. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. So who ate the apple? That didn't happen. Right. Just, no, but it's in. I could probably find something as a name that did happen, but just like for example, it's like okay, so. But in my brain, I'm trying to piece it all together. As soon as I feel that trust is broken, I'm trying to put it all together and like in, in a larger storytelling, um, I don't know, arc. And I'll just be like, so Apple was eaten. You claim it wasn't you. I was away for three days. You didn't have people over. The dog can't get that high in the counter. Dog doesn't like apples. Who ate the fucking apple? <laughs> And now you just want to know. And then people think I'm crazy because I just pieced that all together. Or, yeah. So, but you wouldn't do that as a child. Because they're obviously... Lie? No, or, no, like, your dad's life. You weren't kind of piecing all the... Because if you were your, you if you were back and 10 years old now, you could probably do that with a lot of things and it wouldn't add up, right? At 10... Okay, so let's... At 10... I just absolutely that. at yeah. ten, absolutely not. We were more fo- focused on the fact that my sister was in high school and being very rebellious for a good reason. Um, there was a strange con- conservative vibe in in my home, and my mother was not. Are you Westport, Connecticut? Correct. Yeah, so yeah. I I used to I was an au pair for a year and a half in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, so like Westport was, I always saw that as like I don't know, not the nicer Greenwich, but it was a little bit more realistic. But maybe not. I mean Greenwich. I mean you have like fifty million dollar homes there. There are not. $50 million homes in Westport. There might but be 15 the, million dollars. There's a few homes. like on yeah. the water that like Westport, they've got that gorgeous little area. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up there. We were the Indiana Hillbillies of Westport and we moved there in the 70s. It was not what it is today. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Um, my mother still has this nice little house. In fact, all she had three houses. They get progressively smaller, but I think they get progressively nicer because now she has a colonial home. Oh, beautiful. So it's, it's great. And I hope to kind of maintain it and keep it for... So, That'd be so, beautiful. She, so she could die in it, and then I get it. Um, in theory, <laughs> <laughs> or I inherit the mortgage, which is the way that things, go, things go in my family. <laughs> um, but so, so at ten, I honestly know I was not paying attention. I was more focused on myself. Um, I was a little bit of a neurotic kid, probably for obvious reasons. I didn't even know why I was so stressed out. But when you crawled faggot in the hallway, it gets a little, little bit. You repress something, and you try to avoid being called faggot in the hallway. So I wasn't really focusing on my dad's income. You know, but we got a little bit older and started to pay attention to the news. In 1991, when they declared war, uh, the first Gulf War, my dad suddenly started getting really strange phone calls from women in uh, Fairford County, saying, "Where's my son? Where's my son? Where's my son?" And I was like, "I don't know who you are." Multiple calls that I fielded because my dad wasn't home. Where's my son? I don't know. Is Tom Reed there? Thomas Reed. Is Thomas Reed there? Uh, no, but he lives here. Take a message, tell him to call me back, and then I would finally see my dad. Dad, you have all these women calling asking where your son is. And Where their son is. Where their son is. Yeah. Sorry, did I say that? No, 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 no. Where their son is. And so I didn't really understand that, and he probably said some lie, and I was like, okay, back to He-Man, you know, <laughs> or whatever I was watching at the time. And uh, I don't know, that, that was odd. And then I remember he had a really a big package in the mail from... Guatemala and I remember just being like why are you getting packages from Guatemala okay I'm gonna go upstairs and watch TV like just it, it's yeah. so cause it's not like they were happening like terrible. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday it, it's months between uh, these weird like it might stories even be, it might have been one gaff a year yeah. and they don't add up I remember my sister would say uh, she before cell phones, there was there were pay phones at the school, and if she was in detention or something, or uh, she would call home or skip last class and go home early, and my dad would be there, or she would call from the school pay phone to my dad's office for some reason, and then it would be like, and my dad would somehow be patched in. She's like, why does it sound like there are chickens behind you? And just like things like that, and ret- like everything was retroactive. Like, okay, some of these things were odd, and. So with that in mind, we think that something is true. Some semblance or part of this story is valid. The depth and the way he envisions his contributions to uh, democracy in the United States, I think might be a little bit inflated. Um, but I see the, the bullet holes, he has the scars, he has 
consistent stories when he retells them, and I do ask him again for consistency's sake. It is a test. He tells the same story the same each time, except one major detail that still throws me in, and it doesn't add up, and I just asked him this when I was there last week, when my boyfriend was there hearing the story for the first time. Just the fact that there was uh, some partner he had, um, but then, like, in one one way, he would say, in one storytelling, he would say it was a partner. In another storytelling, he would say it was his cover at the office. So while he wasn't doing international insurance for Bailey, Martin, and Faye, somebody had to do it while he wasn't there. Oh. While he was, like, flying to Mexico City for, for the day. Like, that kind of a thing. So, like, all of these things, it, it's all very sketchy and patchwork yeah and uh he initiated initiated about 12 or 13 years ago hey i would love for you to write a book about this partner and i was like and he said he said oh you know him you've known him for years i'm like dad i have no idea who the fuck this person is and he's like oh well he was at my wedding i'm like i don't know uh, him. You <laughs> so this just my dad also just doesn't understand basic social graces and so yeah. just like there's a lot that so, there are a lot of social graces or just basic interaction between humans that he doesn't get that it's also difficult to navigate just his core persona to find out these details that I would like to know to piece it all together, A, for my own sanity, and B, for the book. So, okay. So there's a few things now my brain's racing. Um, sure. From my knowledge from films yeah. that... Th- there's a certain type of person people hire, the, the, the CIA will hire. Mm-hmm. And from my memory, it's actually sort of someone that is, has kind of detached from their family or doesn't have any family left. I think there's some truth to that. Right? And you said that your dad had been abused by his parents. Correct. So, he, yeah. They were still in touch and they were, still, they were always around. They were in Indiana, but we visited them every year. Okay, so... To answer your question on multiple levels, they were never out of the picture as much as we wanted them to be. <laughs> um, we would visit often, and they were very, very cruel to my dad and my mother. And then, let, not to my sister, ultimately to me when I said I wanted to go into art history in college, he just like wrote me off because I was supposed to be an engineer in his head. To my cousins, through my father's sister, the beautiful one that got fat, her kids, he was just straight up cruel to because they lived down the street. Um, Who was this guy? Like, what? what's his story? We don't know. And that's, like, another the... part of the story. We don't know where... We don't know if our last name really is oh, our crap. last name. We don't... He doesn't speak about his history at all. We know nothing about him. We know a little bit about his wife, Nora May, who was more the abuser, we think. Are either one of them still alive? No, they died. No, they, they couldn't yeah, be, right? Yeah. yeah. They're way dead. Um, it's a shame. <laughs> 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 um, oh. Sorry. They're way dead. <laughs> They're way dead. Yeah, we're, we're, we're. Otherwise, I think they'd probably be like 110 now. <laughs> I miss them. No. Um, so. But the, did they have like accents or was it like straight up Indiana? It's not Indiana. like. Okay. So They're in the West here and they sounded like the S. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, that's, okay. That's what they sound like. Um, so my dad, instead of writing them off, he spent, he rebelled in his own way, A, through his job, B, through just lying to him when he got into knife fights in high school, like whatever that was. He had, he had a, an interesting high school too, but he was detached emotionally as a human, but not, he did not cut ties with them. And he spent much of his time, as did my aunt, trying to get their approval, which yeah. they never got. Mm, right. Um, so typical abuse dynamic. I think that answered your question. Did you? Yeah, no, it was because. I oh, mean, oh, so you're talking about the persona, people that get recruited. Gr- so, yeah. generally speaking, um, in movies, in books, and in historical documents, um, and just the truth is that they tend to stick with each other. It's a lot of Yale blue blood. Mm. Um, patriotism. Uh, now Yale is quite liberal, so I don't see them grabbing them as much. But in the 50s, 60s, did your dad 70s, go to Yale? He did not. So we were not uh, Yale blue bloods. We were Midwestern steel mill stock. Yes, but apparently, my father's uncle, that is my evil grandfather's brother, 
was in the OSS during World War II, and then just after World War II, which ultimately became the CIA, and he recruited, recruited my dad. Him. Okay. So they, um, so, so they, what if? Okay, so if you don't have the blue blood, blue blood credentials, you might make up for it in blood. It's kind of like the mafia. Yeah, I would presume so, right? Um, yeah, so, th- so that's how it happened. He told the story in more detail when I was just visiting two weeks ago, um, and my, my boyfriend was listening, but I kept going in to try to help my, my uh, father's wife just with like setting up lunch or whatever we were doing, and so I missed some of the pieces. But again, there are consistencies. Like he enlisted in the Marines for 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 Vietnam, and during that process, he was injured in training, and then in recovery, he claims he was recruited by somebody that my great uncle sent to meet with him, and then they started doing these like basic tests, like, hey, um, don't worry about work, we got that covered. Can you go to Mexico City today? And my dad's like, sure. So he went to Mexico City, Mexico City, and my dad is 6'5", he's a big dude, kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, and he just like, st- he said, I'm standing on the corner, I'm a target, or what am I doing here? And then that was like, it. And then they started giving him more responsibility, and then, um, and then he was, that was his job. So when you think about your dad now, I mean, you, so it sounds like you're going to write this book, you're figuring out the story and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, initially it was going to be about his partner, and I was like, screw that. It, I don't know his partner. Maybe it should just be about him, but I don't know anything about him. I'm going to start interviewing him. I lost a, uh, a contraption in a move, and so I lost it, and I did not transcribe anything, so oh. that was lost. He, my dad, tape recorded himself, and I was going to transcri- transcribe that myself, but he claims he sent those tapes to the CIA to be reviewed, as in, like, redacted, and he got nothing back. Okay. Yep. So, um, lies not, truth not, either way, that's just, like... Another... It's just another, like, really dumb... Yeah. (laughs) uh, And so now I'm just going to do it my way. And uh, it took me 13 years to get there. And I'm more, at this past visit and the fact that I actually think he is now getting closer to death, uh, I do feel that there's something uh, I need to write. I need, a, I need like, to take a week off and just, like, put shit on paper. And I have a structure in my head, and I have, like... Uh, Outline. Yeah, in my head. Um, and it might be more about me. <laughs> I was about, that's what I was about to say. I'm like, is this going to become a father-son relationship in some ways? Or a, a son trying to... Yes. Your journey through all... It's going to be more about me. I don't... It, who? What's more annoying than a memoir? I mean, like, the first first. But you book, know your story. Correct. You're trying to learn his. Correct. And I think that actually could... So you can only say your truth. Correct. And I think... And I could take the time. If I could suddenly sell into the publishers across the river... Give me a hundred thousand dollars. I'll take two years and research all of this shit. But unless they give that to me, it's not going to be that part of the story. Uh, and you're a strategist, aren't you? A former creative, recovering creative turned strategist. Strategist, yeah. yeah. Which I think is quite similar to a journal journalist. I I think writing too. Yeah. I think it, yeah, exactly. So. Okay. Um, so, I guess. How have you felt going through this? Like, what has been your emotional journey going through this story? Um, I'll, I'll never know who he is and that is partially due to his job and also due to what happened to him as a kid. When I graduated from college, I really had no skills. I was not ready to start a job. I could not have done what you did by jumping straight into advertising and like be adept. I like, he's pointing to Grace, by the way, she she graduated, you went to college and then got a great job straight out of college in a field I did not study. Fair. But you were adept. I was not... I could barely even wait a table. I mean, I waited tables before, during, after college. But, like, I really had zero idea what, what I was going to do with myself. I thought I might take a, uh, a year off and travel. I did it. And then I, I said, I need to live somewhere else before I move back to New York. And so I lived in Southern California where my dad lived. And spent a good portion of that year trying to get back to New York. But really just to be with my dad. Because he left when I was, I guess, 17. And... I know he felt detached from the family, and when he left, nobody really missed him because he was a very angry man for a variety of reasons, somewhat justifiably reasons. Um, 
So I just wanted to kind of take one for the team and I went there and kind of just didn't do much. I temped, I did extra work, I hung out with screenwriters, I had some friends in LA. And then realized that I didn't want to live there, I missed New York, and I wanted to come back and start something. I didn't know what that something was, but I felt like I did my part in... Okay, I have this philosophy, uh, pr probably as a result of this, that people die all the time. And with that, this is why I can't lie to people, because if somebody died tomorrow and I lied to them about something so stupid like eating that apple, I'll be like, well, that apple, I'll never eat an apple again, because they'll be tainted. And so... The I, weight of lying is the, huge. It, it's, just, it's just not worth it. And so, but then we, my sister and I both err on the side of being too honest at times that it's that it's pointed and people think that we're uh, mean. So that's something that we're navigating. But my philosophy is you have to keep your nose clean and make sure that, particularly with the elderly, that if you have done everything you possibly can to rectify that relationship and it didn't work, then at least your nose is clean and you they die with a with you having a clear conscience. Right. And that's what I tell my friends who aren't really as skilled at... I, I've been to a lot of funerals. I've seen a lot of death. I don't know why, but just a lot of friends. And I'm close with my friends' parents, and I've seen people die. And I'm told I give good funeral... Eulogies? <laughs> so, uh, oh. it, not even eulogies, but just like just like the presence. Like I know, how, I know how to... I should probably be a... Bring the party to the funeral. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very six feet under. Yeah, cool. But, um... um that I, I do believe that you have to make sure that you've done everything you possibly can, especially when relationships, particularly when the relationships are difficult. Like if your mother is a bitch or your father's distant or was abusive, have you done everything you possibly can to make sure that when they kick the bucket, you your conscience is clean because that will plague you for the rest of your life. And I feel like I did that with my dad. You cleaned your conscience? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. When he passes away... Uh, it will be sad. It'll be like, I don't think that life was well lived for him, but that doesn't really have any more bearing on my life. And the best gift he could give me, though, is this story. So hopefully I can turn it into something that could get me out of advertising. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, so. So, so wait, how did you get into advertising? So you've come back to New York, you're... Um, you've now cleaned your conscience with your father. Yeah. You've I gave up on becoming a screenwriter in LA. Like I had no idea how the world worked, zero, and neither did my parents. We did, we didn't know how to balance checkbook books. We just were not skilled life livers. <laughs> um, it runs in the family. So my sister and I kind of started with a few steps. We're just a few steps behind everybody else. Like oh wait, this is how you do this. Like we just didn't know. So I came back and I did try to pursue my degree. I was an art history major. I used to paint and um, thought that being in the art world would be good, but it was very, I very quickly learned that there's a reason why the art world is dominated by like rich white people is because they all have trust funds and I did not have said trust fund. And so I'm like, oh wait, it's actually a good story. I went, I nailed an interview in 1999 <laughs> at a, a Midtown gallery for a mid-century, mid-19th century art and I was there for an hour and a half, and like after an hour and a half, I was like, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, what's the salary? She's like, oh, we normally start people at 19 and then move them to 21. And I was like, dollars an hour? Sounds great. Sign me up. And they're like, no, $19,000 a year. And I went, and I did the math in my head. 99, and I, what would that even be now? Twenty six, like yeah. not much. Yeah. It would be the same equivalent. Whatever it would be now would still I mean, be the same. I feel bad. still still yeah. bad. Still very bad. And I, I think I just turned bright red, and I went, "Oh my god, I have to rethink my life." And then this is also during the time. This is during the first dot com bubble. Right, you guys mm -hmm. were still playing with Barbies. Um, they. All my Gee, friends, Joe's. Not kidding. better, <laughs> better. Um, my, uh, all my friends were getting like it felt like they were getting copywriter jobs at the airport in San Francisco, and they were. I'm moving to San Francisco, so all my friends moved out there, my straight friends, mind you, and they all ended up in some dot com writing button copy. I'm like, I can do that. <laughs> and and so in New York, Silicon Alley was a little bit more competitive, and I couldn't get a job anywhere. And through some strange fluke, I was sending jobs for copy, co copywriting jobs at advertising agencies. 
at blind ads in the New York Times. Do you even know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, two months later, I get a call from, I forgot her name, but the woman that was the chief creative officer of this small division of JWT said, I used to own that house that you live in in Connecticut. It was my mother's address. And I was still living, I hadn't moved oh, to the city wow. yet. And she's like, would you like to come over for coffee? And I went to her new place for coffee. And she's like, well, we don't have a copywriting job for somebody that doesn't have copywriting experience. I'm like, well, that makes perfect sense. But how do I get said experience? <laughs> like, let's do this. And then I ended up temping and became an account person at JWT Specialized Communications. Cool. And um, from there, I never wrote any copy. <laughs> and then I was actually laid off in... Before 9-11 in 2001, had in June, June 18th, 2001, had the best summer of my life. <laughs> Unemployment was the same as my, my, uh, salary. my salary. And we threw barbecues every day. I played tennis every day and smoked pot and went to bed early and looked for a job in the morning. Like, it was the best summer of my life. Then 9-11 happened and then there were no jobs and everything kind of went to shit. And then it was pretty much a slog for the rest of my 20s. Through... Um, so now at this point you are still you're dating women. I was dating. getting drunk and making out with women. Yeah, and you haven't. Okay. Yeah, a lot of friends. Uh, had a great social life. Um, had a lot of fun, but I did not date. I did have crushes on women for years at a time, and that they never went anywhere. What? Go figure. Um, but that was really, I think, how I fixated my brain on. Uh, avoiding the issue well, were, you, were you um, scared of being gay? I, I, I must have been. I guess I just didn't want to be. And after 15 years of denying it, it's sort of like, oh, wait, yes, I am. You know, it just seemed like a lie. <laughs> right. And so, and so I was like, okay, so I, I have to keep this one going. And then I was like, it's exhausting. Got to get this out. And then I met a man that I was attracted to. Nothing happened, but it just sort of like, okay. I need to, like, go on a date with a guy. I kissed a guy. I'm like, oh, it's supposed to feel good. Okay, I don't like you. You're not interesting to me. And then I went home and, like, kind of came up with a rebranding campaign to come out. At this point, I was a copywriter. (laughs) (laughs) Rebranding yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And so... How did that go telling your dad? He was fine. Yeah. He just said, wow, I just... He was... It was actually interesting. He's like, I guess I'm just a little naive about these things. Cute. That's what he said. Yeah. And my mother's like, well, finally. <laughs> I was just expecting you to live in limbo for the rest of your life. Oh my God, Mom. So I have a, yeah. a weird, it's not a weird question, but I feel nervous asking it because it might feel weird. But I'm okay. like, I'm, there's no doubt that I, that you must love your dad. Like he's mm. your dad, you know. Do you like your dad? Like have you grown up liking him as a person? Uh, I grew to like him later. He was not very likable when we were, he was fun when we were kids, then he was not fun when we understood that he was, something was wrong with him, like something was up. Anger management issues, something was wrong. And And your sister picked up on that kind of, she's five years older older than me, so so she dealt with more of it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And she was much more rebellious. And it was, I guess it is that double standard that, like, a boy can go out until 1 a.m. on Friday, but a girl can't. Like, one of those things. Mm. But at that, by, the, by the time I was, like, in high school, my parents had given up on parenting, so I was just like, yeah. they just, like, let me do whatever I want. And when you have no boundaries, you go to bed when you're tired. And so on Friday, I wouldn't go out. <laughs> it wasn't like, I have to stay out until 10.45 my curfew. Like, there was just no rules. But, but back to the uh, liking thing. Um... Do I love him? No, I feel bad for him. There is love there. Um, there are some positive memories. Humor. I think my... If anything, we, if, if anything that binds us is humor. My sister, my mother, my father, and myself. Um, like It might not always work, but humor was a very much a part of the kitchen table or the dining room table at Christmas. And so that's sort of, and what, when was, those are the positive memories. And when was the bit where you you said you you really you started to like him later? What what was that? Was that when you were living with him in California? Was that when? Um, the, no, was... that didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think 
I think it. I had to start to have pity for him, and then I was like, okay, life is hard. Like, I became an adult. I'm like, okay, life is hard. He did the best he could with the tools that he had, and he didn't have many. And um, he's just a broken individual. I have pity. Okay, I kind of like him. So I'm, I'm guessing we're, like, totally near our hour soon. Um, but... I- you said you're in therapy now, and mm. you you went through a ten ten year uh, relationship, relationship yeah. that has come to an end, which you explain as kind of like a you weren't married, but it was like a divorce. Yeah, yeah. ten years is a long time. Um, I I came out of the closet, dated one guy for four months, and was very promiscuous for about a year and a half. Um, met Tom, and. We were not exclusive for the first year, so I was still very promiscuous. <laughs> but we did start dating, and things sort of fell into place. It was like two bad dates, and then suddenly we were having, like we were together. It was weird. Like we actually, neither of us really remember what happened in the beginning. Um, it just was sort of a blur, and then suddenly I was dating this guy that was significantly older than me. Um, didn't know it at the time. I knew he was older, but he was very fit, very handsome, uh, but he's significantly older than me. And, but we were both interested in the arts. We loved to cook. We loved to throw dinner parties and he had a house on Shelter Island and it was fun for a few years, but I should have left. I left him after five years, uh, because he was kind of spiraling into depression and I was like, you need help and you're not listening to advice and I need to be alone for a while. Did that for four months and he did the three things that I requested he do. So I had to give him another chance, but I really should never have gone back, frankly, and because I blinked and it was another five, five years. years yeah. And then I was, it was a 10 year relationship and I was about to turn 40 and I just, and then I met somebody and I was like, Oh fuck. And so it all just kind of came together and I went out to the house on Shelter Island and broke up with him, drove back to New York. He gave me three weeks to get out of the apartment. I got an apartment and I left. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done. And that was a divorce. And we still, we still email each other about stuff. It's not a negative per se. I wouldn't say it's positive either. I haven't seen him. I haven't heard his voice since, in two years, since October of 2015. But like, we'll email each other articles about politics or um, art shows or movies that we like. Like we focused, like we will communicate, communicate about the things that we could communicate on. Um, the safe zone. Safe zone, yeah. And the and, similarity, yeah. yeah. The... And we go in and out. And I miss his brain, one of the smartest people mm-hmm. I've ever met, but I don't miss being in a relationship yeah, with stuff. him. And I'm sure it's mutual. And did you, um, I don't know why I keep trying to link it, but uh-huh. you said that, that that was the hard one of the hardest things that you've ever gone through. Yeah. Like, did that, did that at all bring up stuff? from the childhood era or did it feel a very separate Well, I mean, piece? I, I'm not an idiot. I, I know that you try to recreate relationships in your partner that you had in the home or you try to fix them. Like something happened in your home. You try to fix that problem with the person that you choose to be with. Like it's just relationship one-on-one or I should say psychology one-on-one. Um, they are more difficult to connect. I, I mean, I had a, had friends that said like, Oh, you're just, you want to be with an older guy because you have a relationship with your dad. And I was like, well, I don't want to blow my dad. And yeah. like, I, like it's it may, maybe that's too simplistic, but it was just like, I don't know if that's the case, <laughs> but he's also not in the CIA. He's, no, <laughs> you know, I know what he does. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I followed him to work once. <laughs> yeah. He didn't work either. So that's a whole other issue. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> um, he was in the art world. So, yeah. Um, Maybe that was a safe works thing. In the art world. <laughs> I went with someone that doesn't work, so we never have to question that. What do you do? I'm an art dealer. Oh. oh. You can like, give it 11 and read a book until 4 and then make yeah. dinner. Yeah, and throw really and good ask, dinner parties. And ask me to pay for it. Right? Oh, okay. no. Um, but, uh,. Yes. So, I mean, there has to be some connection, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I don't really... I do wonder why people are broken, because I guess the parallel would be is that my ex had um, similar emotional blocks. Right. So. What, um, okay... Last question, <laughs> unless you have one, Grace. I, I can keep going. Unless oh, yeah, yeah. For an hour. I, I'm, I'm conscious of the um, 
people have kind of told me to, that they only have an attention span for an hour, so like I, I'm yeah. trying to sort of. We've had episodes that, that kind of that like, are a little shorter, a little yeah, longer. Yeah. It's not. It's not quite like a we have a buzz. No, it's not like it's not going like to buzz anytime soon. Um, I just have to put on my Halloween costume eventually. Oh, good. <laughs> but I, what um, what do you know now that you, that you sort of need in a partner? Is that a, like, you know, what are you finding that you're like, there's certain things that I've learned over these years that like, I, I just kind of, it's a given now or. Um, a, a natural kindness. And that's not actually not that easy to come by. Um, I went on a few dates. I, I actually think I'm. I thought I was really good at dating when I first came out. Like, this is easy. <laughs> it's like I'm getting laid. People are calling me back. Um, people want to go on dates with me. My friends' friends. Oh, oh, oh! I have a gay friend. You should go on date. This is great. Being gay is great. So easy. The world has changed. The dating world. It is not fun anymore. It is all swipe left. People are swiping left in the middle of dinner. There is no decorum. Back when I went on a date in the aughts, um, if you, like, you know what? This isn't really going anywhere. But I have a friend that really likes Scorsese too, so maybe you want to have sex with him. So it's like more of a nice, like, experience. We're not going to go anywhere, but you might like my friend who's recently single. None of that. It was horrible, and I was failing miserable, miserably at, at dating in this new realm two years ago. And um, I forgot what my point was, <laughs> but uh, um, I did realize that people are very lonely now and also very guarded, and I was trying to get out of guarded. That was the word I was trying to find in the beginning of this interview. <laughs> uh, I am not very guarded, <laughs> but um, I need people... Oh, that's what it was. So I went on this date with a guy who I'd known for years. I thought it was a date at least, but I thought we had three dates, but it kind of went nowhere. That, that is a whole topic. That's a whole Thinking other. something's a date. And then it's not. I was like, oh, so we're not dating? Are we friending? Because we're friending, that's fine. But oh, let's we make were, it clear. But yeah. I thought we were dating. He, and then I, I don't arrived, have to pay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I arrived on time at this date, and he was early and in a verbal altercation with the mate, the, the hostess. And I went, what is What happened? And he's like, oh, well, this, this, and this. We're not eating here. And he stormed away. And I just went, ugh. I was, like, crestfallen because I actually kind of like the guy. And I can't date somebody that's mean to the, the wait staff. And, and I just went, uh. like, yeah, no. And, like, unless they're assholes, I can be a dick. I can be as, as cutting as the next person. But I'm never going to be the first one to pull, pull the trigger. Right. It's a reaction it's to a reaction. someone else. But, like, to... hey, you're a waiter. You're probably an actor. Life is hard. How you doing? What's up? Can I have a glass of wine? Thanks. One of the biggest yeah. turnoffs, personally, I don't know about you, if I see somebody um, tip, and the tip is really bad, yeah. or uh. they do the, oh, we'll just do, you know, this, and throw them a couple bucks. They're like, well, what did they do that was outstanding to, to get 20%? Mm. And all I can think is, I'm like, years of waitressing, like, bartending, <laughs> you're like, what? It's, it's just... It's also it's not them. a tip. It it's shouldn't not be a called tip. a tip. It's, it's like, not a tip. It's not an extra. If you want to give them extra, go ahead, give them extra. But that's how they're making money because they're currently exactly. getting three dollars an hour. The system is broken, but this is the system we live in. And I think if they wanted to, move, if those these people wanted to move to Europe, where you don't have to tip, Perrier is ten dollars in Paris, and your croque madame is twenty two euro. Like yep. deal with it. And that's right. so, oh, you don't have to tip though. No, they're getting real salaries. So anyway, we're not going to solve the economy today. No, but, uh, <laughs> but it but is a, it big is a turn, turn off. off. And yeah. so, and I'm still friends with the guy, but I was just like, wow, I, I can't. And I even str struggle, like my, my present boyfriend, he is very nice to my family. He is nice to friends, but he is, it, it, he says it's a struggle. It's easier for him to be a little bit like, eh. like that's just the kind of millennial default, default <laughs> attitude. And I, and he's like, you're so nice to people. Why are you talking to that stranger? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it'll make it for a good chapter in my book. And like, you never know what yeah. you're gonna, what, what's going to happen. And I think that it took me a while to get to this point. I think therapy has helped. I think growing up has helped and watching other people fail by being cutting, by being mean has been also educational. And I really am just trying to be 
a, a nicer person because I wasn't always that nice. All right, let's leave it at that. Thank you so sure. much, Thank Justin, you for so coming much. on. You were wonderful. Also, I guys, hope. if you hear things, it's because Justin has a pillow in his in his lap. I'm sorry, I talk no. with my hands. No, that's like little air bubbles. I talk with my pillows. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right, I can't wait to read the book.